This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 754 with Brenda Zane. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 754. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. On today's episode, we are welcoming back past Shameless Mom Academy guest, Brenda Zane. So Brenda reached out to me a while ago to ask if we could record a conversation specifically to raise awareness around May 9th, which was yesterday, if you're listening in live time, National Fentanyl Awareness Day. So interestingly, Brenda was on the show 300 episodes ago, exactly, when she was on episode 454, and now it's episode 754. And on that episode, we talked about her son having multiple fentanyl overdoses. When Brenda reached out to talk about Fentanyl Awareness Day, I knew I had to say yes. I know that talking about drugs, especially talking about fentanyl, is really scary and uncomfortable. But if this conversation can help one family or save one child, it is so worth it. So I strongly encourage you to listen in and spread this episode widely, just to spread the word because of 
all of the things that are happening right now in terms of our kids being able to access fentanyl so easily, as you're going to hear as we talk with Brenda. So Brenda Zane is a family advocate, certified parent coach, and facilitator with the Partnership to End Addiction. She's also the host of the podcast Hope Stream and founder of the nonprofit organization Hope Stream Community. She's passionate about serving parents of kids who struggle with substance misuse and mental health. Brenda's oldest son struggled with an addiction to high-risk lifestyle and illicit drugs for over five years. After nearly losing him to multiple fentanyl overdoses, Brenda left her marketing career to serve other families dealing with the fear, confusion, and feelings of helplessness of having a child who's misusing drugs or alcohol. Listen in to hear Brenda share how her teen son overdosing on fentanyl twice in three days in 2017 informed her work today. Then she digs in and shares the three things that you need to know about fentanyl as a parent. She talks about the myths and truths of fentanyl and its various forms. I learned a lot in this part. She talks about where kids are quickly and easily getting pills online. She shares how to talk to your kids about fentanyl and what age to start the conversation. She talks about how to keep open communication with your kids about drugs over the years. She talks about the connection between neurodiversities and addiction and what to do when you're worried your child might be experimenting with drugs. Lots of good stuff in here. Like I said, this is heavy. This is hard. This is uncomfortable. And it's definitely scary, but it's really, really important. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this conversation. And huge thank you to Brenda for coming back to the show. So please join me in welcoming Brenda Zane back to the Shameless Mom Academy. Brenda, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here again. And I told you when we got on Zoom today that I was so excited about this conversation. And then I was like, I mean, it's a weird thing to be excited to talk about fentanyl, but I am excited because I just so appreciate the way that you show up for these conversations and provide so much value for something that's really, really challenging um, in our society and also with our kids today. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you entertaining my unfun topic. I don't have the like cool, sexy topic that everybody wants to talk about. So I appreciate you having me here today. Always. And I mean, I feel like someone has to do the unsexy work. So so thank you on behalf of all the parents for doing (laughs) unsexy work. That's what I do. So this is your second? Yeah, yes. This is your second time on the show and I'll link to the other interview that we did that talks more in depth about your story, but can you give people just a little bit of a recap in terms of how you got into the work that you do and what that looks like for you today? And then we'll, and then we're going to dig specifically into talking about fentanyl, fentanyl awareness, because yesterday, May 9th was fentanyl awareness day, national fentanyl awareness day. And so we're being intentional with the timing of this so that we can make sure that parents have the information that they need to hopefully keep kids as safe as possible. Right. Yeah. So personally, I ended up getting involved because I was just going along with my regular old life and found out that my son was struggling with substance use. And, you know, at first it was weed and alcohol and he kind of went, if you listen to the other episode, you'll hear the whole horror show. But, you know, after about five years, he ended up overdosing on fentanyl twice in three days. And so that was my entry into this world. And at the time that was in 2017 that he overdosed. And that was pretty early on in the illicit fentanyl kind of epidemic. And I had no idea what it was. I'd never heard of it. I was in the emergency room, you know, with him on life support and they were telling me what he 
had in his system. And I was like, what are you talking about? I've never heard of this thing. And so that's sadly how I got introduced to it. And then, you know, I, I work specifically with parents who have kids who are struggling with substances. So now it's just part of my everyday conversation. But that was my foray into the ugly world of illicit fentanyl. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that that's probably not an uncommon story for parents to have a real fast and incredibly dramatic and traumatic entrance into learning about fentanyl and the drugs that our kids are exposed to pretty commonly now, sadly, unfortunately, that us parents are like, don't like, we don't know about them. We don't know what they're being exposed to. And it's definitely a lot different than when I was in school and like weed was like a right thing. (laughs) Right. That was the thing. (laughs) That was like the big scary thing. (laughs) Right. Right. And that was like, you know, compared to today's weed, that was like benign, you know, it was because it was just purely like people would roll a joint and today with the Mm -hmm. concentrates and all that, it's, it's a completely different product, but um, yeah, it's for parents, it is mystifying. And I think there's also a level of, well, the fentanyl, the people who are overdosing on fentanyl, they must be like the guys in the alley with the needle in their arm. And it is sadly that, and also our, you know, our young kids. So yeah. Yeah. We'll get into a little bit more of that. Cause I think that kind of dispelling some of the myths around like who is in danger is really, really important because I think we, it's easy to think not me <laughs> and, and your, your story is such a great example of that. Can you talk a bit about why tweens, teens, and young adults are so susceptible to fentanyl overdose? Yes. Um, there's three things first that I, I want to make sure people understand about fentanyl. The first is that it's an opioid so it is a legitimate drug if you've ever had surgery if somebody you know has had surgery you're very likely had fentanyl as your as your medication for the pain and so this is not some like back alley you know thing that was developed a few years ago this was developed in the 60s it's incredibly effective when it is prescribed in, you know, and most often used in a hospital, often used for stage four cancer, you know, end of life cancer pain, very effective at that. Then what happened is China figured out how to manufacture all the precursor chemicals for it and had those, all those chemicals shipped to Mexico for the most part, where they are creating these pills illicitly so in all of the different formats so the first is it's an opioid it is legitimate drug when it is used in the hospital setting what we're getting on the streets what kids are getting is not that it is not the legitimate you know used in the hospital setting it's also synthetic so if you know anything about opioids about heroin and morphine those were originally derived from the poppy flower from the seeds of the poppy flower. We can imagine how expensive that is when you have to grow fields and fields of poppies. So when these synthetic options came around, way cheaper, if you're a drug cartel, way cheaper, way easier to manufacture. There's basically no limit to the amount that you can manufacture. And so that's what's happening now is they're really in the drug supply. There really is no heroin anymore, which is kind of weird to say, but it is Mm -hmm. just too cost prohibitive and takes too much time to develop. So 
opioid, it's synthetic, and then it's powerful. So I don't know if you've ever seen anybody who's had morphine in the hospital. Maybe you went to visit somebody who had surgery and they're very loopy, right? They're like, wow, that person's, you know, morphine's very powerful. Well, fentanyl is 50 to 100 times more powerful than morphine. So the impact that it has is incredibly powerful. And it's very short acting because like I said, it's supposed to be used for surgery. So it's meant to go into the body quickly, take effect quickly, and then leave the body quickly. So the reason that teens and tweens are really susceptible is that they, first of all, they're very young and inexperienced drug users, right? Like if you're a, an older person who's been using drugs for many years, you actually probably are better off because you're able to understand how much you're taking, what the impact of that's going to be. If you're 13 and you're at a party and you're just sort of like, oh, my friend said, take this drug, it'll make me feel cool. You just don't have a lot of experience. And so they don't know where they're getting the pills from. The young people that are taking these, they it's often like an older person who if that turns out to be like a senior in high school kind of older person, um, often somebody that they may know. And the people who are selling these pills are saying, oh, it's safe. It's, you know, it's like your mom's Xanax or it's like that mm-hmm. Percocet your dad had from his knee surgery. So there's a level of familiarity for younger people that they're like, oh, well, it's not taking drugs. I'm just taking a medication. So there's a little bit of that perception as well. And, you know, they're right now in particular, we're kind of having the perfect storm because young kids are feeling a lot of anxiety after COVID and they're, a lot of them are like trying to self-medicate. It's like, oh, I'm having to go back to school. Oh, I'm having all of these, these feelings. And so when a kid at school says, oh, we'll take this little pill, it's don't worry about it. It's what your mom takes anyway for her anxiety. Then you've got just this horrible situation. So it is kind of the perfect storm of bad situations where you've just got an unlimited supply of, of fentanyl in the market. Um, You know, you hear the news reports and it's like, we, you know, confiscated X number of millions of pills and that's enough to kill hundreds of millions of people. So it's a pretty exponential problem right now. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. 
This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing. And they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Tell me about... Does it only come in the form of, I'm going to ask like ignorant questions because yeah. I don't know that much, but also this will be helpful for our audience. Yeah. So is it only in pill form or can it also be like, can you have like weed that's laced with fentanyl or like, is there like, how else might it take shape? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So one thing that I like to do is to not spread hysteria because I think that doesn't do anybody any good. So with the weed topic, I've seen that and you'll hear that, oh, you know, they're lacing weed with fentanyl right now. There really isn't any proof of that. Where that comes from is when they do autopsies on people who have overdosed or been poisoned, they will also find marijuana. So some people will say, oh, it's been laced. Typically what's happening is they're using marijuana and then they're also using fentanyl. So not to say that that can't happen, but that isn't typically what's happening. Um, but okay. kids are very, you know, they're experimenting. So they're at a party and they're drinking a little bit and they're smoking some weed and then they pop a pill. So all of that's going to be mm-hmm. in their system. But yeah, it's typically pills. They are um, marked just like a Percocet, just like an Oxy, just like a Xanax. The dealers have pill presses that are unbelievably realistic. The color is real. The markings are real. And I can send you some photos if you want to put those Um, in the show notes that you really can't tell what the difference is that you have to have a pretty, you know, deep level of knowledge of like, oh, this is the exact blue of a real Percocet versus a a fake one. Mm. So yeah, and you know, pills are really easy to hide. You know, it's harder for a kid to hide like a handle of vodka, right? (laughs) Like you got to have some space for that. Pills can be anywhere because they're tiny. So yeah. And with the I'm wrapping my head around a kid having a pill that's like marked one thing when it's something else. And is, so are dealers 
than selling them as Percocet as something else because it's not actually that thing, but it's cheaper to produce yes. as the synthetic and then make more money selling it as a Percocet. Yes. And also because it's more addictive. So because yeah. the half-life is so short, to get that high again, you've got to take another one again. So whereas heroin used to have been a longer high, so somebody wouldn't have to use, you know, 10, 15, 20 pills a day, which is what's happening because the high is so short. Mm -hmm. So dealers know that if there's fentanyl in there, it's very highly addictive. And we're talking weeks, not months or years. Sometimes I think that's another misperception that parents have is, well, my kid can't get addicted, you know, because I would notice this over the course of several years. This mm -hmm. is literally weeks and months where the addiction happens because of the potency. You know, you think about somebody taking morphine every day for three weeks, that's obviously yeah. going to have an impact. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk a bit about what makes fentanyl so critically dangerous? And I think you've mentioned this, but is there anything else that we haven't touched on around this because it is like the high level of potency and then the high level of addiction. Yeah. Another thing that's really tricky with it is because there is no quality control in, you know, the garage of the guys who are producing these pills, you could have a pill that not only do you not know what the amount of fentanyl in that pill is, you don't know where in the pill it is. So perfect example of this is one of the moms in our group in the stream, which is our community for moms. Her son bought a quote unquote Percocet from somebody on Snapchat. They dropped it off at two o'clock in the morning. He broke it in half, took half of it mm. because he knew that there was potential that there was fentanyl in it. Unfortunately, he took the half that had the fentanyl in it and he never woke up. So wow. you don't, so he thought he was having like a quote unquote half dose, but yes, he thought he was being safer because he was only taking half of it. But because when they're literally like mixing the pills and then pressing them in the press, there's no guarantee like, well, I don't know that half might have all the fentanyl in it or it might have none of it. So who, yeah. you know, if he had taken the other half of that pill probably wouldn't have had anything. So it is 100% Russian roulette with this. It's, it's like me handing you a glass of water and saying, well, it might be half cyanide, don't know. And so that's like the level of danger. I've never thought about the consistency of medication in a pill. Right. Taken. Well, you, like when you said they don't know where it's located. I know. I'm like, what does she mean? They don't know where it's located in the pill. Like, what? So I thank you for explaining that because that makes so much sense. But it's so interesting when we are so trusting of a well-regulated industry that we don't even think through, holy cow, like that's the huge danger of something that's not regulated, that like that piece a pharmaceutical is really, really yes. important. Yes. I'm yes. gonna take like so much more gratitude toward my like, my right. medication now. <laughs> right. They're oh actually like A, they're measuring what's going in there and they're making yeah. sure that it's distributed evenly like throughout evenly. the actual pill. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So how do our kids get how do they have access to fentanyl? And you gave an example already that it's typically, you know, for maybe someone of a younger age, it's maybe an upperclassman when it's just everywhere and the omnipresence. Yes. But like <laughs> ubiquitous. I feel like there's, <laughs> yes, like there's a chance that it's just anywhere and everywhere, which seems very overwhelming. Parent, 
where are so can you talk a little bit about where like kids are actually getting this well unfortunately one of the main places they get it is on social media so there are different codes different emojis that mean different things and so a lot of the buying goes on on snapchat on TikTok, on instagram and you know again we think of drug dealers as these sketchy guys you know in an alley in the big city or somewhere and what it is often somebody driving up in what looks like an uber like oh you know my kid's getting an uber or their friend is arriving could very likely be a mercedes i mean it's not what people think about drug dealers and so social media is a big big problem the other places yeah just you know an upperclassman a friend of somebody even kids you know finding medications in their home and this is often what happens is somebody will start with a legitimate medication like maybe you have leftover oxy from a surgery that you had you don't remember that you've got a half a bottle sitting in your bathroom cabinet and kids will start there take those pills oh wow this makes me feel amazing this makes my anxiety go away this makes me so much more social and I feel so much more relaxed and then that half a bottle is gone and now they really need that to sort of keep that feeling and so then they'll turn to somebody at school will say oh yeah well I can get oxys for you oh my gosh it's five dollars you know and then that's where you get introduced to the fentanyl so you know and the other part of the hysteria that I want to make sure not spread is that for fentanyl to impact you you have to ingest it it has to get into your bloodstream so there's been rumors of oh somebody touched a pill and they overdosed and that can't happen so I just like to say that because if parents find things in their home clearly you know don't take it don't test it but if you pick it up and take it and take it to a pharmacy or police department or something like that it's not going to make you overdose just by touching it so Thank you for saying that because I've heard that. Yes, yes. (laughs) My child actually asked me something about that. And it was, I mean, he's 10, but he, we had, it's interesting. We started having conversations about fentanyl around Halloween last year because there was articles coming out about fentanyl looking like candy and potentially being confused with candy. And again, it's like the difference between when I was a kid and we we were worried about razor blades and apples. There's actually, there's actually never been a reported story of an actual razor blade in an apple, but this is what we were worried about. And so we had conversations about fentanyl back in October. And my uh, son has had some follow-up questions since then and seen things out in public places and been like, mom, could that be it? And what if I touch it? And what if I accidentally? So that's super helpful to know because I'm just like, don't touch it. I don't know. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's hard, you know, and and I think to some degree it's good to make sure that they are aware of that. And, And the colored fentanyl that was sort of reportedly like the candy fentanyl, actually that's how dealers kind of differentiate the pills so whether it's a 30 milligram oxy or an 80 milligram however i don't think it's bad to maybe just leave the impression with kids that what you're seeing might not be what it is so again i don't like to spread hysteria but i think it is super important to let them know that just because you see a pill that maybe looks like something that is in your parents medicine cabinet right because kids are super smart they will see oh 
my mom's got a bottle that says Xanax or my mom's got a bottle that says oxycodone or whatever. Um, and so then if they see that and it looks, oh, well, this looks exactly the same, it is not exactly the same. So the level of, you know, replication that the dealers are doing with the colors and the markings is remarkable and super dangerous. That's really helpful to know. One of the things that came out of our kind of follow-up conversation after the Halloween stuff was my son had basketball practice and there was an, what they assumed was an M&M on the ground of the gym. And he came home, he told me about it a few days later, but he was like, mom, we saw this, what we thought was an M&M on the floor of the gym during basketball practice. But she, he said, but don't worry, nobody touched it just in case it was fentanyl. And I'm like, it's like a, it's, it's fourth graders. Right. In Catholic school gym. Right. <laughs> I'm not saying it, may, it wasn't fentanyl, but I'm right. like, it probably was an M&M. Right. But it was a really interesting opening to a conversation yeah. where I, I was like, that is so great that you saw something that you weren't sure what it was. It wasn't in a wrapper. It didn't come from a, like a, you know, a parent that you, or an adult that you know and trust. And so that you recognize like that would not be a good thing to put up, to pick up and put in yeah. my mouth or whatever. And then multiple, like all your friends were like, yeah, we shouldn't touch that. Like yeah. that's, I think that I was like, that's actually a really, I'm glad that that happened so that you all had that opportunity to communicate that with each other as peers. And then also that you, came and told me and that I know that you're kind of keeping an eye on things and that you're discerning kind of through this filter system of like, is it in a wrapper that I, you know, sealed? Yeah. Is it from a trusted caregiver? Is it like, is it, or is it on a ground of a public floor and not, you know, certain to be identified as to be a certain thing? Absolutely. That's awesome. And it's, it is such a good way to just sort of weave that conversation into every day so that it's not like, okay, buddy, we are going to sit down at five o'clock on Sunday and have the drug talk because <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's not the ideal way to do it. So I love that he's able to bring that to you and to, you know, to ask those questions is such a great, great thing. Yeah. And it's led to other, I mean, that's, and I appreciate your point about letting it just be woven in. It's like sex talks, like yeah. just let it move in naturally to things right. because it is interesting. Another question came up with like a teacher giving out candy in class for something. And he was like, well, she opened the wrapper and gave everyone one. And I was like, yes, like, I, that's fine. <laughs> right. You can have one of her, uh, the teacher can give you a smarty in the middle of math class. Right. Like, I trust that your teacher's not passing out fentanyl in class. Right. But again, it was like him being like, but mom, okay. It wasn't in the wrapper. Like, it, like he has now this checklist. Yes. Um, and it's like, I'm joking about it. But at the same time, this level of discernment becomes really, really important when we start talking about, you know, being in middle school or high school and going to people's houses who we don't know or being at parties and like all these different things. So it is, I think it's, it's valuable to be having these conversations from a, a younger age than one would maybe guess. Oh, absolutely. I mean, by sixth grade, you definitely need to be having that conversation because we're really starting to see, you know, and I call them fentanyl poisonings. If you're talking about a 12 or 13 or 14 year old who has died because they've ingested fentanyl, I don't, I hate calling that an overdose. From a technical standpoint, it is a dose that was, you know, over the amount, right? But from a language standpoint, I think it's important to make sure and call it a poisoning because many of these kids are not addicted. They are not, you know, this is not when parents are thinking about drug addiction. It's like, you could take one 
first time you've ever taken anything and that's the one that's the one pill mm -hmm. so i do think it's really important just from a, a language standpoint to identify that these are fentanyl poisonings now there are people who know they are taking fentanyl they know that it's in the pill those tend to be older users who have used drugs for years they have fentanyl test strips they're testing you know it's a kind of a different situation but when you're talking about a middle school kid um i don't think it's fair to call that an overdose i think there's a lot of stigma around that and there's just a lot mm -hmm. of shame that parents would you know not want to like would just wouldn't want that in in that language so i think that's really important so yeah it is hard and i feel you know it makes me sad that we have to have these conversations it makes me sad that a 10 year old has to be aware right of mm -hmm. like mom i didn't take that thing because it might be fentanyl it's great that he is but it also it's just it's sad that that's where yeah. we are but it is where we are yeah do you have any recommendations for opening up the conversation you know when it's not halloween <laughs> Right. When you're not a parent sitting on the couch, panic reading articles, right. is there a natural entrance into those conversations? Um, and like, do you have any tips on that? Yeah, I think if you've never had the conversation before, so let's just say you're hearing this and you're like, oh no, I've never been talking to my kids about this. The best way to start is first of all, just to educate yourself. I would spend a little bit of time before you have the conversation with them educate yourself so that you feel confident in knowing the facts not hysteria so that you're not coming from a reactive place like get yourself grounded so you feel like okay i know the facts i know what's going on here and then it's a great like to be able to say and this is usually best said when you're not face to face so if you're driving in the car if you're on a walk you know not being face to face is ideal to be able to say oh yeah you know I was listening to this podcast this morning that I listen to all the time and they were talking about fentanyl and wow, I realized I didn't really know a lot. What do you know about it? Because a lot of time our kids know way more than we think they know. And you're showing some respect there instead of being like, well, you better never do this and da -da -da, you know, coming down on them to really open it up is being very curious, just like we want to be with all of our questions, you know, and conversations with our kids to just be curious. Wow, I'm so curious. What do you know about that? Are any of your friends, you know, are you worried about any of your friends? Kind of shifting it to a friend conversation can be really helpful because it doesn't, it's not like, oh my gosh, my mom thinks I'm taking fentanyl. But to say, are you worried about any of your friends? And I think it's also important to talk to them about why somebody would take it. So gosh, you know, it must be really hard going back to school after being at home in, during COVID or it can be really, you know, you might feel a lot of anxiety sometimes. And how do you handle that? And some people do take pills, you know, if you're an adult. So just sort of making sure that it's a well-rounded conversation and not just like, mm -hmm. don't ever take fentanyl, da -da -da -da, you know, don't ever take drugs yeah. because that you're just going to end up in a big power struggle. Um, but being curious and grounding yourself so that you're not, you know, anxious and like, freaked out when you're having the conversation because they'll feel that and mm -hmm. for you to be able to just be calm and to learn what they know and and it's always just good to ask permission to say well would you mind if I just told you what I learned because I'd love to know what you think about this or I'd love to know what you've heard about it 
and asking that permission. We call it the information sandwich. I don't know what other people call it, but you know, asking permission, then giving the information and then following up with another question like, well, what did you think about that? Like, did that make sense? Like, did I explain that very well? Um, and just, and make it an ongoing dialogue. I love that. Do you have any tips for keeping communication open after that conversation? And I'm thinking specifically in that like middle schoolish age range, like maybe the kid doesn't have a lot of awareness so far, but you're wanting to make sure that they come to you and they feel comfortable and safe coming to you. If there's a concern in six months or two years down the road, when they do have exposure to something or access to something. Yes. I think it's important to make sure that that conversation is never one from a place of judgment, that it is always from a place of curiosity and compassion to say, you know, a lot of people feel anxiety or a lot of people feel depression or right now, sadly, what's happening is there's so much pressure from parents on, especially in the middle and high school to get into the right high school, to get to the right courses, to get to the right college. And so there's a lot of diversion going on with ADHD drugs, medications, so Adderall, Vyvanse, and kids will use those and then, you know, start using ones that have fentanyl in them because they're under so much pressure. So I think being aware of that pressure and saying, hey, buddy, you know, if I'm pressuring you too much so that you're feeling like you're not able to relax and have enjoy school and enjoy your friends, like, let's have a conversation about that. So leaving that open, but always coming at it from, hey, you know, it's hard, like school is hard, right? It's something that sometimes people do need to take some medication for. And here's why I really want you to always feel free to talk to me. Or if one of your friends is using, if you find out one of your friends is using drugs, that just means that they need some help. That doesn't mean they're a bad person. Because often what happens and what happened to my son is as soon as he started experimenting, he was cut off and he was the bad kid and nobody, he couldn't go to anybody's house. And then what happens is they find the friends that, you know, will accept them, which are usually not the greatest friends. So it's just important to, to separate the behavior from the child. So yes, their behavior might be looking a little like, Hmm, this doesn't really look like my kid. This is, this is a little unusual. And then being curious about that, not from a judgment place, but you know, Hey, you know, sometimes mom takes medication because I struggle with some things. And, you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable, if you're feeling antisocial or you wouldn't use that language, but you know what I mean? You know, your kid and how to talk to them. Um, you know, let's just talk about that. Let's just figure that out together so that you're not, you're not putting yourself at risk because they do what, what we found, what the research has really shown is that if you can give kids facts, so not the hysteria, not the like, oh my gosh, you're going to die if you, you know, if you can just give them the facts, um, they hear that and they do use that information. So it might not look like it. We might not see the connection, right? Or we might not get right. a like, oh, thanks mom for sharing that information. Right. But they do take it in. If it is factual, if it is you know, presented with compassion and empathy and understanding and not judgment. Um, that's usually the most effective way to, to keep that conversation going. That makes a lot of sense. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 
6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. It's interesting. I was laughing when you were like, yeah, I might not be able to tell that they're taking it in because I feel like with, you know, my yes. 10 year old, who's not always super eager to be in communication with me anymore, which is heartbreaking. Cause he used to think everything I had to say was amazing right? and funny and <laughs> exciting, but it is so interesting to me, the things that I either thought like he hasn't heard or he's been annoyed by or dismissive of, or just like he wasn't in the space to like kind of dig into it when I initially brought it up, but then he will come back to me with things weeks, months, you know, long periods of time later. And I'm like, oh, he was totally listening. Yes. So it is, I think, especially if, if you have an only child or that firstborn, the first time you're navigating some of those things, you make assumptions like they're not listening. Mm-hmm. And then I think sometimes the temptation is to try, if you're a type A controlling person like me, you're like, yeah. got to drill it in harder because they didn't hear it. Right. <laughs> the reality is like, give it a little space. Cause they probably did like step back for a minute and you can return to it later. Cause they probably are taking away a lot more than you think. Absolutely. And I think it's also really important just to mention that all kids hear things differently. So we have a lot of neurodiverse kids in the world, right? And they hear and learn and understand and socialize and verbalize things very differently. And so just really knowing your kiddo and how they consume information sometimes kids might it might be like you know there's i want to say an article but like nobody reads articles anymore in a magazine but you know it may be like a little note on the fridge for a kid who doesn't necessarily process information they may have you know sensory processing issues Mm -hmm. or you know just being really mindful of that that sometimes you need to adjust how you deliver the information so that it really lands with your kid in a way that they can accept it. And also just to know some of the risk factors, you know, neurodiverse kids are at a higher risk as are adopted kids for substance use, kids with learning differences, kids with ADD. So it's just one of those extra things like parenting is so hard and this just makes it even harder, but we have to really know how our kids learn, how they consume information, how they take information from us. And like you said, don't assume that they didn't get it just because they like rolled their eyes and walked away, which often is what happens. And that's why you just have to keep it as part of the conversation that's just sort of woven through, you know, you can talk about, oh, you know, prescriptions or, you know, if you see something in a bottle with somebody's name on it, that's specifically created for them. The amount that's in there, 
Um, the amount that's in each pill is specifically created for them. And the other thing is dealers will have prescription bottles that don't have labels on them, but they're the little brown bottle. And often young kids see that and they go, oh, that's a that's medication. That's not drugs, mm, that's medication. Yeah. And dealers know that. So just, you know, and that can be a great like conversation if, you know, if maybe you have a, a bottle in the kitchen by your coffee or whatever, that's a great time to just bring that up. Like, oh, you know, see this bottle here that depending on the age, obviously this is, you know, this is mom's medication and it's got my name on it. So it absolutely would never be something that you could take or daddy could take or your sister could take or whatever. So those are just some like the, the day-to-day ways you can weave it in. That makes a ton of sense. I wanted to back up. I appreciate you mentioning specific populations of kids that might be at higher risk or not might be, but who are at higher risk for addiction. Do you recommend, or what is the recommendation for, do you tell a kid that, Hey, since you have this profile, then that means you're at higher risk. Like, do you give that information or is there a certain age in which you bring that into play? Or do you have any ideas or thoughts around that? I mean, I think it depends on the kid and also the age for sure. I think it's better though to talk about the reasons why. So, hey, buddy, you know, um, you kind of struggle with anxiety sometimes, right? Or sometimes you just, you feel awkward. Like sometimes you you don't feel like you fit in with your friends. Sometimes, you know, kids will use a substance, they'll drink alcohol or they might, you know, take something because they think that makes them fit in better. And that might solve a problem for a very short amount of time, but that's not a that's not going to last long term. So, I always like to just talk about why instead of like you have this label, therefore this is a statistic about you, because I don't think that makes it really like that doesn't that wouldn't help me. I'd be like, well, why? Like, so it's yeah, better to yeah. talk about whether it's anxiety or not fitting in or or not being able to verbalize. And you know, my son had AD, has ADD and. I remember him saying to me, mom, the only time I feel normal is when I am high. And so we had to kind of dig into that and figure out, well, why is that? And, you know, um, whether it's like, I I have a hard time speaking, but then man, I drink a beer. Wow. I can, you know, I can talk all I want. Um, Mm -hmm. So understanding what it is that the substances are doing for them, because substances are always a solution. It's always a solution. It's not the problem. It's the band-aid. And these kids are mm. so smart. And it's like, oh, wow, alcohol really helps this problem that I have. Therefore, in their mind, alcohol is the solution. So mm-hmm. when we come in and we talk about it as this horrible thing and it's so dangerous, they're like, no, it works great. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So understanding what it's doing and then talking about ways. And if you can do this early on, this is why I say like sixth grade would be ideal to start saying, Hey, you know, I kind of notice, and I notice is a great entree. I notice Mm -hmm. that you often feel, you often like look really anxious before you go to school or, you know, you tend to kind of shut, shut down when you're around these certain friends. Let's talk about how can you get more comfortable whether that's going on a walk or having a dog or whatever it is, because the substances will work and they work amazingly well for a very short amount of time. And, and kids, you know, they like to go for easy. It's like, well, why could I got a microwave solution 
to a problem, you want me to like have a crockpot solution to it. Like, I don't want to do this thing that's going to take me seven hours (laughs) when I could pop a pill and it's immediate. So we have to have those conversations. What should a parent do if they're worried that their child might be experimenting with some sort of substance, or maybe they know that something's going on? Yes. Well, first don't freak out. Just know that it's, it happens. You're not the only one. I think a lot of times the isolation, those feelings of shame and embarrassment and, and isolation delay parents from seeking help. So kind of partly the same answer, get educated so that you aren't working from a place of like unknown fear and hysteria and anxiety. So really find some good education. The book Beyond Addiction is an amazing resource. Very, it's like the new science, not going back to like the 50s where we're supposed to, you know, shame our kids and let them hit rock bottom and distance from them. That's sort of the old way. So I would recommend Beyond Addiction. And then again, just getting really curious with your kid and saying, huh, you know, seems like maybe you're finding some different ways of dealing with your anxiety. Can we just talk about it and making sure that they know you are the safe place to have that conversation that if they say, yeah, mom, I, I tried weed or I, you know, I smoke weed before I go out because I am so nervous or I'm so whatever that you're not going to be like, oh my God, you know, you're grounded. I'm taking away everything. Um, but that you're going to be the person who's going to say, wow, I'm so glad you told me that. Let's talk about what this is doing. Let's talk about, huh, if you're really feeling like you need a substance to do X, Y, Z, would you be open to talking about some other ways? Because here's some of the things that are going to be downstream from what you're doing right now. And I really would love to help you avoid those. Mm -hmm. So it's so hard. I know from from inside you're panicking, inside you're freaking out. (laughs) Yes. Inside you're freaking out, but to them, you need to be that safe place where they know they can come and they can be honest. Yes. I had some vodka the other night at this thing and I got so sick and I told you that I, you know, did this and I didn't. And so if we immediately go to the, like you use drugs and you lied to me, you have just built a wall. And your child now knows, I cannot go to my mom, I cannot go to my dad, and it is going to go underground. So the most successful way to drive it underground and keep it going is to shame and blame and I'm taking away all your technology and I'm taking away blah, 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 mm-hmm. because they're struggling with something. And if, yeah. you know, if our kid came to us and said, mom, I have these migraines all the time and it's so hard, we wouldn't say, I can't believe you have that, you know, like (laughs) no devices for you. (laughs) Yeah. So kind of think about it in that way of like, wow, what are they working at resolving? They've chosen a really bad way to do it. They're fixing something and just try to keep that mindset so that you can come at it with some empathy and curiosity and that you're on their side. You're part of the team. You're not the one who's going to be freaking out and screaming and grounding them for the next seven weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I listen to this podcast routinely with these two moms and they both have, one has two kids, one has three kids, all teenagers in like junior, senior territory of high school. And it's been so interesting to listen to, they've shared different ways that their kids have just done different typical teenage things, but a number of times sharing like, holy cow, like I learned my kid drank for the first time this weekend. And then like how they've navigated those conversations. And it's been so interesting. One of the women in particular was raised in a family that was like, if you try something, 
and it's like the quote unquote bad choice, like you're cut off from the family. Like it was, yeah. she was in like a pretty abusive situation. So she's like hyper conscientious. I don't want to be like that. So she leads with curiosity and compassion and just keeps the conversation open. And she initially, when this first started with her oldest, she's like, I feel like I'm doing this all wrong because this isn't what was modeled. But she's like, I am so scared that my daughter will stop talking to me and go down the path of addiction that she had gone down herself. Yeah. And so she's like, the only thing I can do to like make me feel like I can protect her is to keep her talking to me and just be really compassionate. And to your, she was like, or she has said multiple times, like, I'm so freaking out on the inside, but it's been interesting over the course of like the last year, her daughter has come back to her multiple times to be like, yeah, so I was at this party and it turns out I don't really like drinking. Like I threw up those two times. It wasn't really that great. It's just not for me. So I'm not really doing that anymore. Like other people do it, but like, I just like to go, I've learned I can have fun without it. And there's been this like really fascinating evolution of her daughter being able to come to her to be like, mom, I tried this thing. Here's what happened. And now then to be, and for her, like the communication to stay open to the point that she can now say, okay, so that was like this phase of me figuring this thing out. And as it turns out, I don't really like it. Like, I don't need that. I don't think it's cool. And like all these other kids think it's cool. And that was so, I felt like validating and affirming as I think about going into this, like, okay, like just keep talking and be there versus letting the panic put you into that role of, shutting down. I mean, like you said, putting up the immediately putting up the wall, right? Yeah, just keeping the conversation going. And because you, you don't want them going to someone else, right? You don't want them going to that senior student who's got the, you know, pocket full of pills, you want them coming to you and saying, Mom, I'm so, you know, I I struggle with this, or I struggle with that. And then then you can solve that together um, in a much healthier way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Brenda, we're the time went so fast. I know. I know. <laughs> so good. So good. I could keep going forever. Um, can you tell people how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? Yeah, I think um, I, well, I talk about the stuff no one wants to talk about. Um, I am trying to be the voice for the parents who feel really ashamed, um, really stigmatized and guilty, like, oh my gosh, what, what if I hadn't let him go to that sleepover that one time? And then he, you know, so I'm trying to just take away all of that shame because it really does delay parents from going out and getting help. And unfortunately today, the, you know, like I was saying, two, three weeks, addiction can set in. So we don't have time to be ashamed anymore. We don't have time to like hang our heads and kind of like shuffle around. We need to be bold. We need to be out there and say, my kid is struggling and I need help and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find you, connect with you? You have a podcast to tell people about the podcast. And then you also mentioned you've referenced your community a few times. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So my podcast is called Hope Stream and it is exactly this. We talk about kids and drugs and all that kind of fun stuff. And it's just a good place for people to learn a lot of facts and get some um, compassion for themselves. So that's Hope Stream, the podcast. And then I recently started a nonprofit. So I had a bunch of different kind of businesses out here and I scooped them all up and put them under a nonprofit called Hope Stream Community. And so that's hopestreamcommunity.org. 
We have a community for moms, which is called The Stream. We have a community for dads. It's called The Woods. Mm -hmm. And those are private, not on Facebook, just private communities where if your kiddo is experimenting, if they're struggling, if they're in a treatment program, if they're trying to you know, move into recovery or sobriety, um, that's the gathering place for that. So that's where all the parents are hanging out talking about this stuff. It's like the club nobody wants to be a part of, but we make it really cool. We make it really, you know, as good as we can. Um, and then we do workshops. So we do workshops for parents. You don't have to be a member of the community. You can just come and take a workshop and learn. And we also do retreats. So it's just the space where, you know, if you're parenting one of these kids, we love them to death. Like they're the most amazing kids. They just kind of found the wrong way to solve a problem. And we're trying to, mm -hmm. you know, steer them back. So. Oh my goodness, Brenda, thank you for all that. So we will link everything yeah. up in the show notes. If people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Brenda Zane. Um, I will link up our last interview. I will link up hopesdreamcommunity.org, the podcast. Also, you mentioned the book beyond addiction. I'll put that yes. in there as well. Thank you for this incredible work. Um, it feels weird to say happy national fentanyl awareness I know. day, but I mean, it's important to honor it so that we can yes. be more aware because that can save lives. So we will, we will honor it in that way. Cause that piece is really important. Um, and thank you for everything that you've brought to this conversation today. Cause I know it's something really important um, and scary for parents in yeah. this community. And I know that you've helped bring some answers and some really great um, practical suggestions to our, to our shameless moms today. Thank you so much, Brenda. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts 
who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.